Hello and welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast, brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman and I'm joined today by Asia Johannes. Hi Asia, how are you? Hi Philip, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And let me say thank you to you for being willing to come back in and record a second time. Uh, For those of you at home who follow along week to week, you received our communication director's update last week in lieu of a full-length episode. Asia and I sat down a week ago, had a great conversation, really enjoyed our time, and then found out that there were errors with uh, the equipment that we were using. And so we are actually on a brand new sound setup today. Uh, We've found value in the podcast and been able to invest a little bit of money in some equipment that will let us move the podcast recording kind of to different places, people's houses, make it more mobile, which I'm excited about. I think it's going to give me the chance to do uh, some more interesting interviews of people who maybe wouldn't be able to make it up to our offices. But thanks for bearing with us. This is still episode 15, uh, and this is going to be part three of a three-part discussion on mental health. Last week, which I guess technically is two weeks ago now, I had the chance to interview my wife, Andy Coleman. We talked about chronic illness and the sudden loss of health. We talked a little bit about her diagnosis experience. She's in remission now. The word for that within the lupus world is quiescence. So we tried to define some of those terms for the sake of some of you who may have not interacted with this before. And then I shared a little bit of my own experience and perspective, what it's been like to be alongside her as she's dealt with that diagnosis and uh, how I've prayed for her and and borne some of the weight of that. So uh, today I'm going to jump into, with the help of Asia, the conversation around mental health a little bit. It's kind of part three of three. We've heard from Audrey Preston regarding physical fitness and health. We've heard from my wife regarding the loss of health and chronic illness. And so today Asia has been so kind as to come in and record for a second time, a conversation about mental health from the perspective of a believer and in the context of health becoming an idol. So Asia, if you would speak to us a little bit about your relationship with your own health and then talk us through some of your experience with mental health. Yeah, no problem. Um, So I grew up in Alaska and that is significant only because I feel like as an Alaskan, we're generally pretty active people. Mm -hmm. My parents were both collegiate athletes. My brother was really um, a bit a strong athlete and so I grew up with lots of health being on our minds and um, a a normal part of our life was interacting with our health be it physical the way we ate Um, my mom was pretty crunchy growing up to the point to the effect of just me having a candy obsession for a very long time once I became an (laughs) adult it's like you didn't get to have soda and candy your whole life well give an 18 year old a debit card and see what kind of damage they can do Um, All jokes aside, I was a collegiate athlete, so I've always had a pretty able body, and I don't take that for granted now Um, as an adult and seeing age catch up to me and how intentional I have to be about my physical and, you know, nutritional health. Um, So I I definitely really enjoyed having a very able and strong body as um, a child and a young adult. Uh, As I aged and had children, I have four kids. My oldest is going to be nine soon, so my youngest is a year old. So I've been having babies for the better half of the last decade, and with that came some really strong and traumatic mental health things. Um, And so I wanted to probably just throw out a quick disclaimer. Mental health is a very serious thing. I'm speaking purely from experience. Um, I wanted everybody to know that up front. Um, But I have the unique experience of having received a lot of really wonderful mental health resources, be it counseling or more invasive uh, talk therapy. Um, EMDR is a really good resource for trauma. Um, My rap sheet, if you will, or the things that God has faithfully seen me through mental health-wise have spanned from, um, you know, 
postpartum depression to regular depression to actual psychosis and anxiety and having to navigate the world of um, antipsychotic drugs from our, from obviously a licensed psychotherapist, mm -hmm. um, all those things. So I feel like I, it's, it's one of those things that thankfully mental health is becoming less taboo to discuss, but it's still a weird thing to talk about. Um, I think we should normalize it. I think there's a tricky, we'll talk about that a bit. I think today just it's, it's hard to find your footing in a healthy way to discuss mental health in a very general setting. So yeah, I'd love to just share some of those things. Um, on the podcast today. <clears throat> and so, yeah, uh, kind of to segue into that, I feel like culture in general is talking about mental health more and more. Uh, Philip, is there more mental health illness now than there was before? And has the church changed its stance compared to the first 2,000 years, in your opinion? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I, I yeah, my perspective is this is something that, as a kid, I think was still even stigmatized for me in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I, I realize now, looking back, um, some of the connections I still have via social media from people that I went to high school with, that some of the kids who didn't fit mm -hmm. didn't fit because they were struggling with stuff that a lot of us couldn't even comprehend. Right. You know, growing up in a relatively complete home. Uh, my mom, for most of my life, has interacted somewhat with anxiety and depression to a certain degree. There were days where uh, she was not able to get out of bed because yeah. of just the crushing kind of existential dread of her thinking that she was worthless and mm -hmm. uh, expecting her, you know, her contribution to other people's lives to only be negative, and so it was just better to do nothing. So I knew a little bit about how mental health could take over your day or your week, but it wasn't, to me, I knowing her past, I always thought that's just a symptom of the way that she grew up and mm -hmm. some of the damage other people did to her along yeah. the way. But I don't think I realized until, you know, within the last five or ten years that a lot of people deal with some version of um, being thrown off balance by their circumstances, whether it's internal and chemical, whether it's biological from their family, whether it's just received from their experience in their family of origin, or they go through some kind of trauma. Um, obviously, I think it can just crop up out of nowhere. So I would say there probably is not more mental illness in the world than there has been in the past. But I do think that uh, collectively, the ability of the human race to diagnose and even the understanding of how specific some of those diagnoses can be, that has increased. Mm -hmm. um, I'll speak from the position just of a pastor here and a person who has never personally struggled much with mental health issues. Um, I think sometimes, if we're not careful, because it has become so normal to discuss mental health, we can accidentally diagnose problems uh, that have a spiritual element to them. Yeah. I won't say that they're only spiritual. Sometimes they are, but probably more so there's a mixture going on of some spiritual health and some mental health problems overlapping. But sometimes we can misdiagnose uh, spiritual issues as being only mental. And, and so the way that we medicate or prescribe a therapy for that is just to change the mind or to change the chemical makeup in the body. And sometimes that's good and right and should happen. But um, I think we have to be careful as Christians that we don't run all the way to either end of the spectrum. Yeah. So one end of the spectrum would be um, overemphasizing the psychological element of an internal problem a person may have. But then the other end of the, pro of the spectrum that I think is just as dangerous is what is commonly today referred to as newthetics. The newthetic arm of Christian counseling is primarily propagated by an organization called the Association of Christian Biblical Counselors, which when you put the word biblical on anything, that's a little scary to me because I think everybody thinks their position is biblical, so is that fair? Mm -hmm. But the ACBC is the predominant training uh, organization that somewhat oversees the 
the biblical counseling programs at any of the Southern Baptist seminaries, which are the six largest seminaries in the world, as well as some of the seminaries of other denominations, and even some secular interaction with uh, mental health and psychology has begun to be impacted by the philosophies of newthetics. So let me define what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Newthetic counseling would argue, and this is an oversimplification, and I'm not a proponent of this, so baked into my definition is a little bit of skepticism, but newthetics would argue that any internal problem that you have, be it from your perspective, mental or spiritual, that the best medicine and really the only medicine is some form of spiritual discipline and exposure to the Bible. Mm -hmm. So read the Bible more, memorize the Bible more, pray the Bible more, pray more in general, participate in meditation, silence, solitude. I think all of those things on their own are really good Mm -hmm. and should be practiced by most believers. However, to disregard lots and lots of years of psychological study, to me, is... Um, oh, I'm gonna, I can't think of a better word, so I'll just be harsh here. I think it's foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that to misunderstand the body as somewhat separate from the mind and the spirit in a way where you would say, well, your body can't really have that kind of authority or control over your spirit or your mind. So things like medication are not necessary. Mm-hmm. They're a crutch. They're, a, they're just an excuse. I've heard this kind of language before. I don't agree at all. I mean, I, th- I think that The way that I've come to understand um, medication that people who have mental health challenges participate in is it's not that it makes you somebody different. It gives you the chance to be yourself. It it is just providing you with the opportunity to have a more, pick your word of choice, stable, balanced. I'm not trying to pick on anybody who's not those things, but just to feel like you're yourself today so that you as yourself can take ownership of your choices and, and be responsible. So. I just want to warn anybody who's out there, especially if this is an area of particular interest to you and you're beginning to dip your toe into the world of maybe Christian counseling or you think that you know, you've seen a need and you're starting to navigate where God might take you to, to receive some training, I would ask a lot of questions on the front end of any program that you're going to involve yourself in about newthetic counseling. It's really rampant, and I think that because some of the larger uh, evangelical platforms have begun to push this idea. Some of us are just taking it without asking questions and without being careful. So I think we just have to be careful that we we don't ever separate out the mental from the spiritual. I think they work together and they're deeply connected. And then mm-hmm. to answer the last question you asked about just the church's stance in the last 2,000 years, from my limited experience with church history, uh, which, and what I mean by that is just, you know, I've done the study I had to do to go to school, but I mean, there's thousands of years of writing that I don't know inside and out. My assessment would be Christians have always been better at interacting with mental health than anybody else. And because we are aware of the spiritual element of our lives and our own selves, oftentimes great authors, great writers, great preachers in Christian history, they spend just as much time writing about their own experience, which can include mental health challenges, as they do the Bible or anything that they're trying to kind of propagate. So I'll give you, for instance, there, Charles Spurgeon is a well-known preacher who lived about 150, 200 years ago. And uh, in his life, his wife dealt with a lot of physical health issues mm-hmm. for all of their life. And I think at first, like most young preachers and leaders, Charles felt that he could probably solve any of his problems by way of force of his own will. Yeah. He could just kind of uh, just be stronger than anybody else and make it happen. Well, very quickly, his wife, I think, let him know, this is you trying to fix me isn't really fixing me at all. It's hurting me. And so um, he had to deal with and live with the reality that he would always be in the home with a person who was a little more weak, a little Mm -hmm. more sad, who wasn't going to be quite so energetic as he was. But then he had a personal experience early in his ministry where his church was renovating the space where they met, and uh, they wanted to make it much larger because they'd run out of space for people to come in. And so he moved his congregation for a few weeks to another building in town, 
And the top of that building, there was a big balcony so that you know you could fit more people in the room. And that balcony only had one way in and out, which today in fire code right. we would never let happen, but I guess back then people didn't know or care. And so somebody in that gathering yelled out the word fire in the middle of the first big service they had there, and there was no fire. The chaos that ensued ended up crushing a bunch of people because the balcony broke under the force of the people trying to get out of the building. It is. It's horrifying. And so Spurgeon's response to that was retirement. He was like, I'm done. I will not put this many people in a room again. I don't know how to manage this. This is not a good idea. This should have never happened. And he spent a lot of time in bed right mm -hmm. after that. He just didn't want to face the world. He didn't want to read the newspapers. He didn't want to do the funerals of all these people that he loved, that he felt responsible for their own death. And so in a very interesting and I think probably comforting way for those of us who are different from our spouses, the difference of perspective that his wife had in having dealt with chronic illness forever and ever, and that sort of having lowered her expectations in a way that made her more realistic in mm -hmm. her outlook, mm -hmm. she was able to help coach Charles through that and say, look, your life doesn't have to be all wonderful or all horrible. There is a whole lot of gray that most of us live in. Yeah. And you can survive, you can keep moving. And so I would recommend for anybody who's interested in seeing the worlds of mental health and church history collide, a guy named Zach Eswine, E-S-W-I-N-E, -E, took a collection of Spurgeon's writings and combined them with Zach's own perspective on mental health issues. Cool. And the book is called Spurgeon's Sorrows. And so typically you would read a book like that and it would be pulling quotes from lots of different people. Zach just keeps it all in Spurgeon's wheelhouse. And so you feel like you really get to know him. Mm -hmm. It's very comforting for me. It gave me language. Um, when Andy and I first began to navigate some mental health challenges in our marriage, it helped me to understand and, and connect to an experience I had never had before. So I would recommend that for those who are interested. If I can throw the ball back to you, Asia, um, within the world of mental health and, and even just the awareness of mental health issues, which I think on social media, there's a lot of people, I think, trying to platform and spread the word, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But something that comes along with that, maybe as, as baggage, or I would even argue potentially dead weight, I don't mm -hmm. want to steal your thunder, <laughs> is the idea of self-care. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I know you have a definition you want to give. Again, I'm not going to take that away from you, but just that happens frequently. It almost feels like that's a new, there's like a new industry around that. There's a lot of money to be made. If you can help those of us who are less familiar with this understand what is self-care, and then do you have experience with that? Do you have a perspective on when that's good, bad? Just talk us through that if you don't mind. Well, self-care is a loaded phrase, um, and I'll get to the definition, but I feel like there's such, like you mentioned, there's such an opportunity to market self-care. Mm -hmm. There's a huge market in self-care. Um, but I looked up a definition so that I could give you both a definition by the mental health world standard and kind of my take on it. Um, so the World Health Organization defines Self-care is the ability of individuals, families, and communities to promote health, prevent disease, and maintain health and cope with illness with or without the support of a healthcare provider. Usually, um, some of some other uh, examples I found online emphasize without the healthcare provider. And so, um, I've seen a lot of healthcare um, opportunities or options. The one that comes to mind that I cringe the most at has more to do with kind of self-exaltation or my needs are bigger than literally any other needs out there. So many things like you need to not go to the obligation that you said you were going to do or you're not going to go meet with a friend who asked to meet with you because you've had a hard day too and your, your self-care is way more important than your relationships yeah. or your mental wellness is more important than this, that, or the other. Um, and I've seen self-care justify terrible decision-making um, and I've been advised 
to kind of make poor decisions in the name of self-care. Um, sometimes it brings to mind just spending a lot of money on bath bombs or you may, you buy the thing that makes you happy, girlfriend, and, you know, ignore your responsibilities because you are tapped out. And I think there's an element of self-care that sort of that industry misses. And I think um, one thing that I really drew from a sermon you preached on a long time ago, maybe two years ago, about rest and Sabbath. And should we, is it biblical or God-honoring to live a life where you need to physically leave to rest? Hmm. And I think self-care plays into that. We shouldn't set up our lives, orchestrate our lives in such a way that we have to do these big, big, huge, extreme things to take care of ourselves. I think that that's a huge flaw of our um, generation or Western culture, maybe, of just kind of forcing yourself to do things because it'll be for your betterment to some degree, but you're also, you know, you have a broken leg along the way and you don't actually take care of it. So I see um, the self-care kind of as a tricky word to navigate and a tricky thing to apply to your individual needs and to yourself. And it can sometimes shift into a self-obsession or a mental health obsession, which I don't think is healthy either. Um, I have a tendency personally to be hypervigilant about mm -hmm. things. Like when I see a problem in my life, I'm going to do everything I absolutely can to fix it. Um, and I feel very equipped and um, uh, my, my psychiatrist at one point told me that I can be hypervigilant about my mental health. And that also, that's just as bad to some degree as doing nothing for your, mm -hmm. your well-being. So there's a balance in there. You know, there's so much nuance in all of these things. But uh, I think like the, the self-care, when, when I think of self-care, comes more to self-obsession. Yeah. Um, and I don't love that. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I do when I do it to myself, right? It feels good for like five minutes. You're like, yes, I deserve this, don't I? And then later you're like, I did not deserve that. And now I deserve the consequences of the thing I thought I deserved. It's interesting. I think when it comes to marketing, I mean, nobody out there does not have a self. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to sell something to somebody, if you can connect it to their own identity, holy Ooh. cow. And I think that it's funny to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off topic for just a second here yeah. and get on my soapbox about modern culture. But so much of what modern culture is trying to reinvent is a way to interact with money, wealth as an idea, classes, power, things like that. I think that's fine. We should always talk about those things and yeah. we shouldn't just assume that they're good and right. But all the stuff that we are making to replace the stuff that we rejected is still basically based on us giving our money to people so that they can have fun and power. Yeah. Like I don't, I, that's probably a massive oversimplification, but like even self-care to me, to some degree, it preys upon people to tell them a story about themselves that that alludes to the idea. Maybe it's not explicit, but it implies if you just bought these bath bombs, yes. think about what these bath bombs would do for your mental health. Maybe you need to take a break and take a bath. That's yeah. an okay thing yeah. for somebody to recommend to you, and your spouse, if you have one, should support that in your life. But I think that as Christians, especially understanding that the way that Jesus lived his life was very simple, and he appeals many times to the way that God cares for our needs— mm. Just just maybe second-guessing the relationship that money has to have with the way that we care for ourselves it might be a worthy road for a person to go down, you know, to, to just begin to go, am I, am I just medicating this with a new thing that I'm going to get addicted to yes. that's not really helping reach the heart of me? So you mentioned self-obsession as kind of, kind of a pitfall, a danger mm -hmm. of self-care. Um, do any other idols come to mind when you think about the world of mental health? Are there things that either mental health professionals or yeah. those in the mental health community would hold up and put on a pedestal and say, if you'll just worship this or give your life to it or look at it, it will save you. Yeah. Talk us through that if you don't mind. 
Uh, the one thing that jumps out at me that I kind of see as a uni- that's kind of being accepted as a universal truth or things we kind of want to indoctr- indoctrinate into people who struggle with mental health. And I think there's some degree of, I mean, it sounds really good on paper. It's the whole live your truth mm-hmm. uh, ideology of like, you need to, uh, the problem with that is that truth isn't subjective. And that's kind of what the whole live your truth idea is. And, yeah. and that looks different from you and me. Like, what if my living my truth and my mental health, mental wealth, health, <laughs> mental health interact in a way that like I want to hurt people to feel good about right. myself. There is actual psycho psychological issues where that's a thing. And so if somebody is being informed or advised to say, live your truth. And I mean, that's an extreme case, but there are very much smaller, even in my own life, even in, in this um, mental health care that I've received, where living my truth can change and look different from season to season, uh, between relationships. Um, and I think we have to be really careful with that, especially as we, you know, line uh, compare everything with the gospel, because I don't think living your truth aligns with the mission of Jesus and, and what we're called on earth to do, or even just living simply for Christ. Living right. my truth looks different depending on my mood a lot of times um, than living for Jesus. Yeah, and I think that inherent to being a believer is, I mean, the, the starting point of Christianity is coming to understand that you need something outside of yourself that you don't have, Yeah. right? We, yeah. I can't just make myself this way. And so I hear you. The danger to me of live your truth, exactly like you've said, is the origin of your truth is within yourself. And especially when we're dealing with mental health problems, can you trust any part of your inner yeah. voice, really? I mean, is it as untrustworthy as I feel that my inner voice probably is, my inner voice has never encouraged me to damage my life, take it, hurt another person. So when you begin now mixing that authority Mm -hmm. in with a source that's already proven itself not to be trustworthy, the logic there breaks down. And I think that ultimately maybe what we can learn as Christians from Live Your Truth Mm -hmm. is tell the truth about yourself. That's a good and right thing. Truth leads to freedom. I'm a big proponent of having no secrets in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't want to know anything that nobody else knows. Um, I share everything with Andy. Uh, she bears that burden really graciously and well, but it's benefited us to always know anything that happens, anything yeah. around us that's moving inside of our mind, outside of our mind, whatever, that, that we're sharing that. So that's good, right? Mm-hmm. Let people know, but then allow those people that are helping share that burden with you yeah. maybe to speak into that and to be a community to you. So if you don't mind, let me shift gears yeah. a little bit here into... Um, away from just what the culture's doing wrong. I think that we could do that for several hours. We could just pick on how our (laughs) culture's not doing great because it's made up of people who are not doing great. But I want to mention just the Bible's perspective for a second. I think it's important that we go to this place every time we get together and talk about, as Christians, you know, how we interact with our own minds and spirits. Um, A year, well, no, two years ago now, yeah, two years ago, almost to the week, um, we were in the middle of the very, just the second sermon series I had ever preached in my life at this church or anywhere else, and we were dealing with prayer, and we were trying to interact with the prophet Jeremiah mm-hmm. and some of his experiences. His prayers are very, though they're written in a way that's somewhat hard for us to process sometimes, when we break them down into modern English, they're pretty raw. I mean, mm-hmm. he's pretty, like, he he is the guy who is telling the truth about his experience. And if Jeremiah spoke the way he speaks in the Bible into any of our life groups, a lot of people would get pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. So I like that. I like when the Bible pushes past the kind of polite idea that we have about it and tells us the truth. I just want to re- reference two quick passages from the book of Jeremiah that I remembered and, and came to mind. I'll say, if you want to hear the full exposition on these things, you can go to our website and, and catch the whole series if you want. 
I haven't listened to it in two years. It might be <laughs> not very good, but try it and start there and at least get to know the scriptures themselves. I think you'll find some commiseration in the prophet's life. But specifically in Jeremiah chapter 15, mm-hmm. I think Jeremiah has a complaint for God that's pretty similar to a complaint that I've had for God many times. The context here is he's doing everything God has asked him to do. He's checking all the boxes. He's going to church. He's tithing. He's trying to be nice to people he doesn't like. He is telling the truth even when it's painful. He's, you know, he's denying sort of the fleshly desires of of his of the temptations in his life, and he's mad because he doesn't feel like he's getting back from God what he expected to get, which if that's not the average Christian experience, mm-hmm. I don't know what is. So here's what he says. This is I, uh, Jeremiah chapter 15, beginning in verse 15. He says, Lord, you know, which that by itself is a prayer that uh, is a prayer of faith. Lord, mm-hmm. you, you know. Remember me, visit me, take vengeance for me on the people who've persecuted me. In your patience, don't remove me, but know that for your sake, I am bearing reproach. I'm being attacked and come after I found your words and I ate them, and your words became to me joy, delight in my heart, because I'm called by your name. I love you, God, is the undertone of this. Mm -hmm. You are God. You are the God of hosts. And I did not sit in the company of revelers. I did not rejoice with them. I wasn't mocking people. He says, I sat by myself because your hand was upon me, Mm -hmm. and you filled me with indignation about those things. So why, here's the question in verse 18, it's kind of an accusation, why is my pain unceasing? Why is my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you, God, be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? And as we said when we recorded this podcast last time, what comes to mind in that language to me is if you've ever hiked in Alaska, you can hear water over the next ridge or whatever. Maybe you need to refill your water bottle. And then you get over there and you go, oh, there's no water here. It's that same idea. He's yeah. saying to God, are you, are you teasing me? Is, was this a joke? You told me if I followed your ways, things were going to work out for me. Yet here I am still suffering. I'm very sad inside. I don't feel happy. I don't feel completed by you. And I love that he just is okay with asking God that. The next verse is beginning in verse 19. I don't have time to read it, but... God answers his accusation and does a good job of unpacking what's really going on. And he doesn't really apologize to Jeremiah, but he also says, look, I get why you're upset. You're having a very human experience. The world is broken. You're Mm going to carry scars and wounds. It's part of you being alive. Then in Jeremiah chapter 20, this is really the low point for Jeremiah's ministry. And originally I was going to read through like 11 or 12 verses It's probably too much to get to. Go back and catch the sermon if you want to do that. But basically, in Jeremiah chapter 20, between verses 7 and 18, Jeremiah brings up five kinds of heartache or despair. He deals with the despair that comes from being abused by other people, the despair of the shame that he carries because of that treatment. Mm -hmm. That then turns into self-loathing of himself. He's not just ashamed, but he hates who he is, and he wants to be either somebody else or dead. He then deals with betrayal by the people who are supposed to be close to him and supporting him while he's dealing with all of this. And finally, he just goes to the pit mentally. He just becomes depressed to the point that he can't lift himself up in his spirit anymore. And that's sad. It's negative. Maybe that's not the best language for a person who's in the middle of dealing with Mm -hmm. a challenge of mental health, but maybe it is. Maybe just knowing that the Bible has words for what you're experiencing and that what you're dealing with is not so modern or not so sinful that Mm -hmm. it separates you Mm -hmm. away from God. I don't think that us being challenged mentally, I don't think us having wounds and scars and having to unpack and deal with past traumas, none of that separates us from God. If anything, I think those are the very places that we need to, to bring into the light, even though it's very painful, and let God tell us something different about those things than we feel. Mm. Let God say about the thing that we're ashamed of, 
you didn't play a role in that. Let God say into a space where we go, is my life worth living? Let him say, always, every day, I gave you life for a reason, even if it's miserable. I understand that, but I want to sustain you and support you. And to that end, I just want to reference one more passage, and then I'll throw the ball back to you, Asia. Mm -hmm. In John chapter 14, Jesus is very um, kind with his disciples, and he's speaking about uh, that they're about to go through a lot of really challenging circumstances, and along the way it will feel like they've been abandoned, it will feel like they're all alone, and he's reassuring them that that's not the case. I just want to read a few verses from John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. He says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Which, I mean, that by itself, I go, how? How do I not let my heart be troubled, God? Well, he answers it. He says, believe in God and believe in me. You're not, it doesn't mean you're not going to have troubles, but just let the landing place of your heart be less of your circumstances and more what you know to be true about God who's unchanging. Then he says this, in my Father's house are many rooms. Or another way to read that is, there's room for lots of different kinds of people in my Father's house. We're not about to run out of space. Mm-hmm. And so often, I think, as people who've been around church for a long time, I can speak for myself, I sort of have this unspoken fear that if I'm not good enough or I don't do things the right way, maybe somebody else will cut me in line mm. into God's kingdom. Ouch. And so if I'm struggling with mental health, I, that would probably be one of the first things where I would go, does God really want... I don't even want me. Why would God want me right now? I mean, this is this is painful. I'm People can't understand. I don't have a solution. I feel terrible. It's, it's changing the way I feel about all kinds of stuff that I know I should probably love and care about, but I just can't make myself... And Jesus is saying, there's a room for you. If I told you that I was going to go and make you a place, I'm going to go and make you a place. And if I do that, I will come and get you so that you will be with me. Mm. And that's reassuring. There's room for you. Not only is there generally room for you, there is a room for you with your name on it, and I'm going to come get you, and I'm going to show you where that room is, and you're going to live there with me. And it's just so funny because immediately Thomas, the disciple, who later Jesus calls him the doubter, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How will we go with you? And Jesus just told him, I'm going to come get you. You don't need a map. I'm going to lead you there. Jesus says to him, I am the way that you will go. And this is the famous verse that we all love to quote. I'm the way. I'm also the truth. I'm also the life. And if you want to get to the Father, I'm going to have to guide you to him myself. So that's reassuring to me in the same way that the Bible can connect with Jeremiah's experience and and hopefully our experience by extension. The Bible also has language for people who have begun to convince themselves because of whatever burden they bear, I don't fit. I'm not good enough for the church. The church people won't get me. They're all cleaned up. They're all composed. And Jesus can do that work in a person's life, but that does not elevate them over anybody else. And I can tell you from my side of lots of counseling conversations, oftentimes the people who seem really composed on the outside, maybe they are for a short season. There's either a storm coming for them that they don't know about and they're going to need support, or it's fake. Yeah. And underneath, they're also boiling and dealing with stuff that's really challenging. So I just say that so that you know that you're not alone. It's easy for a pastor to say that, but I think that's what God is saying yeah. as well. So what about you? Are there scriptures that have stood out to you? Um, and and if, if so, great. But even more than that, maybe if there are other resources or things you could recommend for people who might be struggling to interact with their own mental health. Yeah. And I would say just especially... If there's anybody who's listening who right now would say, something's changing for me for the first time in my mental health. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know who to talk to. What would you recommend? Uh, I think definitely there's so much scripture. Um, I'm really glad that we had a whole segment talking about how there is room for the mentally ill or people who struggle with mental health 
in the in the gospel in the Bible. I really like Psalms uh, because they're and Lamentations. I you know be careful reading Lamentations because sometimes misery does love company, and that can kind of when you're unable to get out of bed. If you are, I've been there. Um, Lamentations maybe isn't the place to go when you need when you're at the bottom of your pit and you need somebody to pull you out rather than come down and commiserate with. So uh, I think Psalms the Psalms are great. Lamentations is great. There's a whole bunch in the New Testament where God where Jesus. I mean Jesus just Balm is an insufficient worm, like word, worm. Balm is an insufficient word to talk, to discuss just how much healing you can come, can come from a life in Christ. And I don't want to like make that sound cliche, like everything will be better if you trust in Jesus. But, you know, he, if Christ truly loves us and he wants all of us, knowing all of us, that means the mess and the gross stuff too. And I think he talks, there's a lot of there's a lot of pictures and verbiage in the gospel, in the gospel itself, and then even in the Old Testament where people were just broken and they needed a savior. And that's what Jesus promises us to be and or promises to to us. And so um, I really like Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty. Psalm twenty three is a classic classic picture of who God who God is for us. Um, and then I really enjoy uh, I don't love self help books because well, that's a whole discussion for another day. But um, on the note of finding a book or something, if you are in, if those help you, Hope When It Hurts by Kristen Weatherall and Sarah Walton are very, very strongly, there's so much scripture in there. I'm like, did you just copy and paste from the Bible? But it's really good application. They talk about um, mental health, or they touch on um, help in trouble seasons of mental health and when your body's physically failing you mm. that actually your wife told me about hope when it hurts and that yeah. was like one of our first like bonding books and then another book or just read apologetics if you're wrestling with like god where the despair of like god why are you doing this these are these hard questions that our kids are you know if you're a mom like me you have kids that are going to ask you hard questions that you can't necessarily be like go to this bible this book in the bible and it will tell you about reading apologetics helps me kind of be like okay there's nuance there's you know let's draw this out it it's helpful. And then um, aside from talk therapy or maybe calling, just call your doctor and say something is shifting. I'm struggling. They can at least, that's a great place to start. Um, I think for me, being known is a huge one. Mm -hmm. Having friends and people in my life. My husband is a strong resource for me. Um, he often sees my mental health swings, either for the depression or the manic crazy seasons. He sees that before I notice. And so he's often and given very strict permission for me to talk, speak into those, those seasons. Um, I have friends that when I was pregnant um, with all of my kids, you know, made a point to say, hey, I know that mental health is an issue and you have chemical imbalances and we want to know how we can help support you and literally would check in and say, have you showered today or have you eaten today? Simple things like that to, you know, check on me. And I think you have to, there has to be an element of willingness to submit your life and uh, um, to others. Hopefully, if you're a Christian, um, you submit your life to Christ, and that might be the next natural. Well, that's not always a natural progression, but hopefully that can be maybe a stepping stepping stone to kind of help you submit even more, which I think is good. Yeah. Yeah, and if I can add something to that as a person who, as I said previously, has not dealt, thankfully, with a lot of mm -hmm. mental health challenges, something that I learned um, from being near to people who have is, and I just think this is worth saying because it's not something I would have ever understood um, when a person asks for prayer, I think that sometimes my assumption is either 
and I'm just going to be really honest here, and I'm not saying this is good or right. I have to confess and repent of this, but sometimes my reaction is maybe you're lazy or mm. maybe you're overly superstitious. You know, I, I start by kind of going, well, what have you done about this? Yeah. Which is not necessarily right. But one thing I learned is I think when a person has dealt with a mental health challenge in a way where they've lost their ability to trust their inner voice, mm-hmm. it's really hard to pray without your inner voice being trustworthy. Absolutely. It's hard to know... If I'm sensing God speaking back to me, can I trust that? Yeah. Is that is that urge or that movement or that motion something that that I can put a lot of stock in? Because in the past, that's felt really similar to this other voice that's told me terrible things about myself yep. or encouraged me to take steps of action that are not good or right, that would be damaging. And so one of the great ways, and it's, I know it seems probably overly simplistic, but it's powerful, is for people who are near to someone, to your point, who are struggling with mental health, to pray for that person yeah. and to do it out loud yeah. where they can hear you speak to God on their behalf, mm-hmm. that's not just an emotional boost to them. Mm-hmm. That is a deeply spiritual experience that is very healthy and normal, and I think it's part of why God prescribes prayer on the behalf of other people all over the Bible. Um, so I just want to tack that on. That's a thing we don't always know if we haven't been inside uh, the head of a person who's dealt with some of this stuff, but it's a way we can bear a burden, and mm-hmm. it's a way we can be a community that's really maybe more meaningful than the emphasis that we've put on it in the past. So um, as we come to a close here, Asia, I want to give you a chance to share a closing thought. I'll I'll go ahead and share mine yeah. now. Um, our church, for anybody who's a member, knows that we have a large number of military families, and so I would just, I want to speak specifically to any man who might be listening to this who's in the military. I understand from having walked with a few guys since we moved here that there's a lot of stigma, even over and above what our normal culture puts on a man for mental health issues within the military, because I now know that uh, mental health challenges and even seeking care can go on your permanent record, can affect Mm. advancements in your career, your ability to move up the ladder or provide for your family. And so two thoughts. One is uh, you always have your church Mm -hmm. and... uh, we can, we can connect with you, we can listen well, we can recommend uh, ways that you may begin to, to, to find some hope and some help and some peace. But also, I'm aware of some internal conversations uh, within the military that are beginning to, especially post-COVID, open up to these conversations awesome. and realize that instead of penalizing a guy from a career standpoint for an issue, maybe acknowledging the maturity to deal with that is actually yeah. a sign of good leadership and potential to make a positive impact. So if you are a man, especially if you're in the military and you've never felt safe to approach these issues, come to me, come to another elder, let us know. We won't try to solve your problems, but we might be able to get you to connect with somebody who can really help. Asia, what about you? What's the last closing thought? My closing thoughts are if you are struggling with mental health, don't wait until it gets so bad because, as we've discussed, sometimes you just really can't trust your voice um, when things are, when you're so broken and despondent. So please reach out either to our True North Church staff or eldership. Um, You'll be met with lots of grace and love in those areas. Um, Talk about it talk about what's going on with you talk to a friend talk to a family member or call your doctor i mean at the very least your mental health is part of your health Mm -hmm. your doctor can help you with that so yeah and then trust god like that's this really simple like really simple answer but you know god wants to know you and part of being known is dealing with the stuff of life and and i think like there's some beauty there's a lot of beauty in worship like on your knees worshiping worshiping and reminding yourself who God is and who he says he is over your life. Um, that can be really, that can be helpful too. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Asia, thank you for your time thanks today. For having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, next time, next week, episode 16, I'll be sitting down to talk with 
uh, Megan Howes, our director of True North Kids, about a book called Show Them Jesus, which I believe is going to be transformative to the parenting that happens within True North Church, our kids' ministry, and God willing, we'll continue to have ripples in churches outside of ours as people are called by God to go other places. So church, as always, you can submit any questions, comments, or concerns at info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. If you'll use the subject line podcast questions, that will allow us to get to your questions much sooner. We are only a couple of weeks away from our next mailbag episode where I'll be answering questions you may have. You can ask me anything about ministry, my life, our church, philosophy, church history, the Bible, whatever it is that I could help clarify for you. I'm only one voice, but maybe my voice can be a contribution. So let us know. The more questions we get, the better I'll be able to do with that episode. We love you, church. We are here for you, and we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon.